So what's your philosophy of directions? Are you the kind of person that you want the shortest route possible? Or do you want to take the long way? Is your goal when it comes to directions to, to find the, the number of the highway? You know, you need the street name or the number of the highway, or do you just need some landmarks? Are you trying to, to get there? Like, is, is getting there the priority? Or would you rather just kind of enjoy things along the way, that, that getting there is half the fun? Maybe you're the kind of person that looks at a dead end and you're like, boy, this is the wrong way. Or maybe you're the kind of person that looks at a dead end and went, hey, here's a whole other adventure. You know, I mean, you just park the car, walk around the dead end sign and, and see what you find, right? Just, just me? Okay, all right. Um, I, I think when I look at my life, I will use GPS. I will. I'll use GPS when I need to. But, but really, a huge stress relief for me is just point me in the right direction and let me enjoy the journey. In other words, I have experienced that sometimes the greatest path to be on is off the beaten path. But we've all been off the beaten path before, right? We've all had moments in our life where we feel way off the path that we want to be on. We find ourselves stressed out and worn out and beaten down. And maybe today that's, that's you. Maybe you're feeling that way even today. The reality is life is hard and things don't always work out the way that we want things to work out. At school, sometimes tests fail. At home, sometimes our kids are rebellious. Sometimes marriages implode. Sometimes jobs are lost. Our parents grow older and, and they need care. We have things with our own health. Sickness invades our bodies. People that we love die. Hurricanes come through and, and destroy and wreak havoc. And on and on we could go. There's all types of things in life that bring despair. There's all types of things that we deal with in life where we feel like we need something to grab hold of. We need something maybe even to, to pull us up out of the mess that we're in we begin a new series today a new journey and we're calling it the rope of hope we'll be using psalm 42 to to point us in the right direction and today our message our first message is thirsty for god what the psalmist is going to do is over and over again with different words he's going to give us this one singular powerful rope that we can hang on to, that we can hold on to, no matter what drags us down in life, no matter what person or circumstance or situation, there is a rope of hope. And what is that rope? Well, let's begin starting that journey of finding out uh, just now. Psalm 42, beginning with verse one, the psalmist writes, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, God. There's a title connected with this psalm. Different translations and versions of the Bible uh, use some different language for it. But, but basically, this is a psalm that was written for the music director. It was written for the person in, in charge of the music. And it's known as a, a mascal, a, a well-worded, well-put-together song. A contemplation of the sons of Korah. 
who are the sons of Korah? Around 1426 BC, there was a man named Korah, and he gathered some people together to rebel against Moses and Aaron. In other words, they did not want to follow the lead of the people that God had appointed to be in charge. This scene is is an interesting scene that made its way even to my office almost 30 years ago. Someone who's very precious to me cross-stitched me a little sign. And the little sign simply says, who is his, who is holy. And that little cross-stitch sign is a reference in the Bible to number 16, verse 5. It's, it's what Moses said to Korah and his little group of grumblers. And this is what it says, number 16, 5. Tomorrow morning, the Lord will make known who is his and who is holy. In other words, someone was going to win one way or the other. So what happened to, to Korah and his grumblers on the next morning? Well, on the next morning, the ground opened up beneath their feet like an earthquake, swallowed them up, and they died. So, so that's the story. And if, if that's the story, then why would we want to sing a song by the sons of Korah? Why would we follow after the sons of Korah if, if that's the story connected with Korah? Well, this psalm is written about 450 years after the ground opened up. So it's not really the true sons of Korah. It's the descendants of Korah. And what we find is that those descendants kind of were a little bit of a band. And we don't know all the, the band members' names. We know one or two here or there. But, but that's okay because the band is, is trying to make attention and draw attention to just one name. And that's the name of the one true living God. The sons of Korah have 11 psalms attributed to them. And rather than taking the, the grumbling, whining, complaining, rebellious attitude of their ancestors, their psalms are marked with a grateful, humble attitude toward God. And we see it right here in the first line of Psalm 42. A grateful, humble attitude for God, and not just a humble attitude for God, a desperate attitude for God. Something happened. Or something was happening. Something was going on in their lives that that moved them to write this type of song. And, And part of the reason they did is because they were seeing that they had this need for God. It says they were panting for God like a deer pants for water. Imagine an ancient hunting scene where a hunter is chasing after a deer and the deer is escaping and well, he's, he's gone fast and far. He's, he's just taken off. And he's finally found a, a place that's kind of safe. So he's, he's going to take a breather. There's a, there's a brook, a creek right there full of water. And, and so the deer finally has a moment to stop and, and take a drink, refresh itself, and, and then move on as it needs to. But see, the language of the psalm actually goes deeper than just that scenario. Because the language of the psalm is that there's no water that there's, there's a drought, that there's no water anywhere. The deer's not just thirsty. The deer's thirsty because there's no water. The deer is dying for something to drink. Isn't that what despair feels like? Isn't that what stress and, and confusion and frustration and discouragement, isn't, isn't that what it feels like? It feels like we're dying inside. 
We, we are so thirsty for love, so thirsty for help, so thirsty for hope, but we can't find water anywhere. The psalmist is writing like a person who's at the end of his rope. Ever been there? Ever felt that way that you're, you're just at the end of your rope? This psalm has been described as a honest prayer from a discouraged saint. That's, that's a good title. An honest prayer from a discouraged saint. He's discouraged. He can't think straight. He feels like he's losing his mind. There's a story told about a college professor, a psychology professor, and, and she was teaching a class on manic depression. And at one point in the class, she asked this question, how would you diagnose a patient who walks back and forth, screaming at the top of his lungs one minute, then sits in a chair weeping uncontrollably the next? Young man in the back raises his hand and says, sounds like my basketball coach. <laughs> We've been there though, right? <laughs> Pacing back and forth, crying uncontrollably. Sad, stressed, frustrated, confused, discouraged. We've all had at least one moment like that. Just one moment where we're just having a hard time pulling things together. At least one moment where we're looking for something to hang on to. One moment where we just want to scream at the top of our lungs. Have you ever done it? <laughs> I have. If you would have come to me 20 years ago and and said you were discouraged and, and, and having this overwhelming sense of despair, I would have directed you, referred you to Psalm 42. Why? Because it's a great psalm. It's a fantastic psalm about discouragement. But I'm not referring you to Psalm 42. I'm inviting you to Psalm 42 because about 16 years ago, Psalm 42 rescued me. For the first 34 years of my life, I was, I was that guy. I was always in a good mood. I mean, I really was. I woke up, life was good, God was great. Where are we going today? Come on, let's go. And, and then suddenly, I found myself in, in this darkness and the, and the darkness just wouldn't lift. And look, I'll be honest, you would have never known it. Yeah, I've never known it. I, I, I still knew how to, to kind of roll with life. And, and I wasn't completely lying, but, but it, was, it was a personal turmoil. There, there was this darkness that wouldn't lift. And it was hard to find ways for it to lift. I tried all the, the different things, and I, I'd love to say it lasted a few days or a few weeks, a few months, but it was, it was well over a year. I was discouraged and I was thirsty, and I felt like I couldn't find any water anywhere. And boy, I, I, had, a, I had all the goodies, right? I mean, I had, a, I had a massive amount of defense mechanisms, you know, pushing people away and, and pushing things away. I also had a, a lot of excuses, you know, a lot of really good excuses for, for why things couldn't change and, and why things weren't going to change. And I had, a, I had a whole bag of, well, nobody understands what I'm going through and a whole bucket of, well, you just don't know how I feel. Ever been there? Ever had that bag and, and that bucket? Well, part of the reason that my darkness eventually lifted was because of Psalm 42. See, I looked at the psalmist and I looked how thirsty the psalmist was. I went, that's how I feel. 
That, that's, that's what's going on with me. But notice that the psalmist is thirsting very strategically. See, I was thirsty, but I kept going to the wrong fountains. See, the psalmist is not thirsty for water or food or money. He's not even thirsty for his problems to go away because they may not. That hurt, that pain, that grief, that mourning, that sadness, that confusion, that frustration, it may not go away in the blink of an eye. So he wasn't thirsty for those things. Sure, his mind and his body might have been thirsty for those things, but his heart and his soul was thirsty for something different, something greater. And what was that something greater? Listen to verse two. My soul thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He wasn't thirsty for a V8. He wasn't thirsty for a vitamin water. He was thirsty for God, the living God, the creator God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and, and Ruth and, and Esther, the God of the sons of Korah. He was thirsty for God. And why, why was he so thirsty for God? Because the psalmist understood that it was only going to be God that was going to satisfy his ultimate thirst. And how do we know that's true? How do we know that's not just a, a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo? Because the reality is if we look at our life, we have a whole lot of things that we chase after trying to satisfy that thirst. But they will always leave us wanting more. They may help for a little bit. They may help for a few hours, few days, few weeks, maybe even a few years, but ultimately we will be thirsty for more. Only God can satisfy. Why? Well, the reason we know that only God can satisfy is because of what he's done. And what has God done for you? Well, let me describe it this way. There is someone who knows you better than anyone else. They know exactly what you're going through right now and that someone has experienced more than we can possibly imagine he was completely rejected by his family and his friends he was hated by a, a whole bunch of people in his community the people who followed after him the closest, they, they ignored him and, and ran away from him. He was arrested, he was sentenced to death, except for the fact that he was completely innocent. He was killed, he was murdered, executed for the sins of other people. Even his own father turned away from him in his moment of death. But his execution wasn't the end. It's not the end of the story because he didn't stay dead. He rose again. He is still alive. He is still interceding because that someone who knows you better than anyone else is Jesus. And one day, Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people and he said this in John chapter seven, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he goes on, the one who believes in me as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
Jesus was born, he lived, he died on cross, he rose from the grave, all to accomplish the one thing that you needed him to accomplish the most. The one thing that would open the door for him to most deeply satisfy you when you are most deeply in despair. And what is that one thing? Well, that one thing that was necessary, that was needed, was rescue and redemption from sin. Jesus secured the way for things to be right between you and God. He secured through his salvation the way for things to be right between you and God. And that's why we say that only in the salvation of Jesus will we find ultimate satisfaction. That is what the living God has done for you. He has made a way for things to be right between you and him. Therefore, only through Jesus will you find satisfaction for your thirsty desire for peace and hope and love and joy and help and freedom and everything else in the universe. The men in the dazzling clothes turned to the women that day and they said, he's not here. He, he is risen just as he said. We as a church, as, as Christians, as, as Protestants, however you want to describe us, we, we do not worship a religion. We are not engaged with, with just a religion. We do not worship a, a statue of a dead leader. We worship, we engage, we believe in a risen Savior. This is the hope of, of why we exist. And in our moment of greatest despair, when we are in the deepest darkness, it is the emptiness of the tomb of Jesus that brings the most hope into our lives. This, this isn't hokey religion. We are worshiping a Savior. Our God is alive. Now, the psalmist didn't have all those events about Jesus. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't have all the stories that we have. But he had the promises that Jesus was coming. And he had about, I don't know, 3,500 years of, of divine activity. So there was no confusion in his mind. God was alive wasn't a fairy tale it, it wasn't make-believe God was alive and he knew it now did he need some other things in that moment sure you know maybe he needed some counseling some support maybe he needed some medicine some food some water there were things that he needed but he knew in the deepest part of who he was what he needed the most was the living God he knew that's what he needed more than anything else about 200 years after the sons of Korah wrote this song, God had a message that he wanted the people to hear, and he gave it to the prophet Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, this is what I want you to tell the people. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's, it's really not hokey religion we're after. In your deepest moment of despair, the living God can be found he can be found there's an ancient story about a young man that went to a, a wise old sage and he went to the wise old sage and he said how can I find God and the old sage said come with me so they went walking they went 
went down by a river and they, he said, we're, we're going to just wander in this river for a minute. So they got down into the river and they, they walked out a little farther where it got a little deeper and suddenly the old man grabbed the young man and held him underwater. <laughs> just grabbed him and held him down. And he held him down until the young man's arms were flailing and then he laid him back up. Young man coughing and, and choking. He's like, what in the world? Are you crazy? What in the world does this have to do with me finding God? And the old sage said, hey, when you were down there in the water, what did you want more than anything else? He said, I wanted air. <laughs> That's what I wanted. I wanted air. The old man said, I'll tell you what. When you start looking for God like you wanted air, you'll find him. You'll find him. Now, I don't encourage that as evangelistic, you know, uh, <laughs> A way of doing things you know find some different ways to share christ with others but but the picture's there right god can be found he's not hiding but we feel like it right i mean in our moment of despair one of our first reactions is god where are you but he's there he's not hiding he, he's a mighty fortress like all the time not not just like Christmas and Easter. He's a mighty fortress all the time. And he leads us all the time. He's not hiding. He, he can be found. The Apostle Paul was, was walking into an area just outside of Athens and, and he saw this, this statue and it had an inscription on it that said, to the unknown God. And he was talking not long after that to a group of very important men in the community. And he said, hey, I saw your statue, the, the one y'all set up in town that says to an unknown God. Hey, I, I know that God. He's, he's not unknown. I mean, you, you got to appreciate that, right? They, these guys were covering their bases, right? Can't you imagine the, you know, the plant supervisor talking to the, you know, the plant manager? Hey, do, do we get all those statues made, you know, to put around the city today? Yeah, we got them all made. You know what? Just to be sure, let's do one more. Let, let's just get one more out there and, and just, I don't know, put something on like to an unknown God. Let, let's just make sure we cover our bases. And Paul saw that statue. And Paul said, he's, he's not unknown. I, I know you're anonymous, God, He's the Lord of all creation. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one true living God. I rode around this morning before I came to church, um, just, just rode through, uh, rode, circled some other churches on this side of the river and the other side of the river. And, and I had just this question in my mind, and I feel like I have it more often than now. It's like, gosh, you know, God, this all sounds crazy. <laughs> what we believe about Jesus Christ, it sounds crazy. The truth of the gospel, it sounds crazy. And the, and the world thinks it sounds crazy, thinks it's silly to talk about a soul. That it's silly to, to talk about there being one true maker of heaven and earth. But you know what's fun about just circling some other churches in the community? It's just a reminder that there's a lot of people that believe it's true. Not because they think it's a great religion, but because their hearts have been set free by the truth of the gospel. 
that there is something about the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth that has captured their heart and they can't shake it. They are compelled to love and believe in Jesus, not because it's a fairy tale, but because it is all so real. God is not hiding. He can be found. And what about that last question there in verse two? When will I appear before God? Can't you just feel the psalmist? I, I can just feel this. It is so overwhelming. Everything's wrong. Nothing's right. And the thought in his mind is, gosh, am I even gonna get to heaven? Will I even get there? Am I even gonna see God? ever felt that overwhelmed that 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 type of darkness ever captured your mind seven years ago steve and his family moved from california to a major city in the middle east i think it was about a year ago that they found some skin cancer and and they were just going to kind of do a, a small office procedure but but then the, the hospital tumor board got involved and, and they saw it was a little more serious and said that they needed to take it um, some more steps, some more serious surgery. And Steve said that was the point that he started getting afraid. And he said he started asking these questions in his mind. What if the cancer has already spread? What if this is more serious than everyone is saying? What if it's too late? And he said at times like that, we, we find comfort in certain areas, in certain places. He said this, it's tempting to seek comfort in being positive. Oh, it'll be okay. Or in percentages. Well, most of these cancers, they amount to nothing. Or in self-pity. Why is this happening to me? But then Steve said this, but God invites us to a far better comfort. What's a far better comfort? But we just heard Jesus said a few minutes ago, right? John chapter seven. Hey, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. Are you, are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. And that's what Steve did that day. Steve turned to Jesus. He, he went to Jesus and, and he began to drink because he was thirsty. But how? I mean, it sounds like nice religious language. Like, ah, be thirsty for God, you know, thirst for the living God. But, but how did he do it? In the moment where he's sitting in a hospital listening to people describe what's going to happen with his cancer and his fear is shooting off the mark, how did he start thirsting for God? Well, Steve said the first thing he did was he confessed. He described it this way. I confess my sin to God that I had turned from his table to the world's table. And what does that mean? He says, and I was fearful because the world's promise of earthly comforts and long life was threatened by my skin cancer. In other words, hey, wait, I, I had all the comfort I wanted until I heard the C word. And then it was like, whoa, wait a minute. My table's been turned over. I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. So the first thing he said he did was he just confessed to God, I'm sorry, I left your table. 
I left your table and I was, I was sitting at another table. And then he said he, he began to pray. He began to pray and, and he asked God that, that God would help him again in his mind start eating and tasting from the right table, from the banquet table of God. So he confessed his sin, then he prayed, and then he said, you know what, and then I just needed some truth. I, I just needed to, to get the truth of the Bible in my mind. So I just started referencing two or three verses in my head that I, I knew I needed. And what happened? This is how Steve described it. Over the next 20 minutes, <laughs> I love that. I would love to promise you that if you do those things, in 20 minutes, everything at the hospital would be better. But I can't make that promise to you. But, but what did happen is, is within 20 minutes, Steve said things begin to change. Over the next 20 minutes, I felt my faith strengthen and my fear disappear. As God used his word to give me a taste of his all-satisfying glory. Glory which nothing, not even death, can threaten. So, what table are we sitting at today? Is, is the table of God where our hearts and minds are? Do we, do we kind of dine at that table most of the time? Or are we dining at some other tables? I, I, I know I repeat it, and I'll keep repeating it. A lot of us are dining way too much at the table of news. Way too much. Way too much at the table of current events. And, and we're not dining much at the table of God. This is what Steve said. Are you sitting at the world's table hungry and disappointed? If so, God is inviting you to his piled high banquet table. He's paid for the ticket and is holding a seat for you. So enjoy the feast. It's, the work is done. The psalmist is thirsting for God because he knew the work was done. He knew that God ultimately was going to satisfy him. He, he would chase after so many other things, but he knew in the deepest part of his heart that only God was going to satisfy. The table's been set, the ticket's been bought. Enjoy the feast. Or if we were to put it a different way as what we're saying today, if you are thirsty right now, and my guess is some of us are, if you're thirsty turn to and enjoy the living God he is not hiding he can be found 